Alright, so we just finished talking about diversity jurisdiction, and now we're going to move into supplemental jurisdiction. Okay, so once again, just summing up everything, we have subject matter jurisdiction, and underneath subject matter jurisdiction, we have federal question jurisdiction and diversity jurisdiction. Those are the two biggest ways that someone can get into a federal court and meet subject matter jurisdiction. There is a third way to get into federal court though, and that's gonna be called supplemental jurisdiction. So there's three ways to get into a federal courthouse. How does supplemental jurisdiction work? Well, this is outlined in 28 USC 1367, A through C, there might be more, but that's all we're focusing on. And we actually have one more case tomorrow, I mean next week, that we're going to talk about. And those are going to talk about some exceptions to supplemental jurisdiction. But let's just outline how supplemental jurisdiction works today. So if... I'm going to talk about United Mine Workers versus Gibbs. I think that'll be a good way to outline it. So United Mine Workers versus Gibbs, what happened in this case is that Gibbs was the superintendent for a mine. Uh, another mine had closed and Gibbs was sent to open a mine uh, a little further away. Well, this mine that had closed previously had ended up resulting in 100 or so people losing their jobs in that mine. And uh, Gibbs went and opened this other mine, or at least he was attempting to, and he was going to work with a different union. And so these hundred or so people who believed that their job should be given back, but yet they weren't going to be given their job back because they were working with a different union at that point, they went and decided to protest. They did so violently originally, which prevented the opening of the mine, and then they went and picketed around the mine, which, again, limited the opening of the mine. As a result, the mine actually never opened. Gibbs was fired from his job as a superintendent, and several contracts that he had of hauling the uh, coal or uh, whatever material that they were pulling from the mine, uh, he lost several of those contracts. And so he sued. Uh, he sued them, saying, well, he sued the union, saying, you shouldn't have targeted me, you should have targeted the owner of the mine. And also, you should have... Uh-oh, you, you interfered with my contract. So one of those things is actually a federal question, and the other is a state claim. So the federal question was the, who did you attack, violating union policies, uh, federal union policies. And then the second thing was the state claim. And so the question is, can both of these claims actually go into a federal court? Well, there's no diversity here because they were both citizens of Tennessee. And the reason for that is because unions are based off of their party members. Well, the citizenship of members of the union. And so several members were from Tennessee, so there's no diversity. Uh, the amount of controversy would have been met, but there's no diversity. So typically, this state claim is going to have to go to 
a state court because it's lacking 1332 requirements. However, because it's attached to this federal claim, it is allowed to go into federal court, and this is going to then be the premise of outlining 1367. So at this time, 1367 actually didn't exist. The court read pretty much 1367 into existence in this case. This is the very first case that talks about supplemental jurisdiction. And so how do we get supplemental jurisdiction? Well, the United States Constitution, Article 3, uh, Section 2, I believe, talks about diversity cases, and it talks about cases. It doesn't talk about claims. And so Justice Brennan, in this opinion, he reads into the Constitution and he says, okay, Constitution talks about cases, not claims. Well, here we have two separate claims, but they derive from the same fact pattern. So, because they derive from the same fact pattern, we're going to say that these two claims combine into a single case. So, single cases are allowed to be heard in federal court through supplemental jurisdiction. In other words, the federal question could drag the state question into court, even though the state question doesn't actually meet diversity jurisdiction. So, with that said, the thing to note is that there's a few takeaways. Um, just sum them up real quick. The first takeaway is that this case introduced supplemental jurisdiction. Uh, we talked about the Constitution allowing cases, not just claims. So you can attach a claim to a case as long as they are related. Now, what's it mean to be related? This is something we haven't talked about yet, but want to bring it up. So related pretty much just means, and this is what Justice Brennan wrote in the opinion, opinion is that related is the common nucleus of the operative fact, meaning if the claims arise out of the same facts, the federal claim and the state claim rise out of the state facts, then they are related. And then we talked about 13.7b as well, where this is only going to be about diversity jurisdiction. Uh, because obviously, if it's a federal question thing, it automatically goes through the door. So supplemental jurisdiction are 100% always going to be state claims that are just lacking diversity jurisdiction in some way, either through the amount of controversy or through uh, the parties not being diverse. Here, the parties weren't completely diverse, and so it was able to be dragged through because it was tied to a federal question jurisdiction, 1331. I believe that is everything that we had talked about as far as today goes. I want to sum it all up. And then next week, we'll get into some exceptions. 1367. There are three ways to get into federal court. First way is through 1331, through federal question jurisdiction. 
Second way is through 1332, which is diversity jurisdiction. And the third way is through 1367, which is supplemental jurisdiction. Supplemental jurisdiction can't get into federal court on its own. This is because these are state claims that are lacking diversity jurisdiction in some way, either through diversity or through the amount in controversy. And so because it's lacking, it can't get into federal court on its own and needs to come along with the big brother, so to speak. If the claims are related, meaning they're deriving from the same fact pattern, then lesser claims that are lacking can make it in if it's tied to a claim that does make it in on its own through 1331 federal question or 1332 diversity jurisdiction. And that is the premise for 1367. That's how it works for the most part. The last thing to note with that is that it does not allow complete diversity to be overridden by the supplemental jurisdiction. What that means is complete diversity still needs to exist in order for these to go into the courthouse. And next time we'll get into exceptions. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice, and with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.